I have been taught 10 years that okay, CI/CD is a push-oriented way to deliver value to the operational capabilities and value streams. But it's actually now a pull-based. And I see this, this as a, also a trend that everything is going to be, you know, uh, you know, transforming to this pool base, which is this kind of lean, lean way of thinking already have shown us so well that push based is never a good idea. Whatever you want to do, whatever you want to, you know, change or manage, it's always better to do pool based systems. Hello there and welcome to the DevOps Sauna podcast. DevOps started as an initiative to break down the silos between development and operations. But these days, DevOps encompasses everything that makes modern software engineering faster, safer, and better. We at Efficode earlier wrote a fact sheet summarizing what we believe to be the significant topics in 2021. In this podcast, Kalle Mäkelä and Mark Dillon are doing a so-called media review to evaluate whether our crystal ball was properly calibrated. Kalle and Mark, floor is yours. I was actually reading two document, three documents simultaneously earlier today on this topic. There was the DevOps, the Puppet State of DevOps report, which just came out recently. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a report coming from uh, GitHub which is called Upskilling Enterprise DevOps Skills. And then, naturally, I was also reading the one that that you folks wrote. So Kalle and Johan wrote back in time, or Kalle and Johan has been marked as authors for the DevOps Trends Report for 2021. Mm. Tell us a bit about this process that you experienced before the holiday break um, late last year. Mm out of which the DevOps Trends report came. How was the process of writing that report? Yeah, sure. Uh, The motivation basically was to lift up the pains and gains from the practice level, what we do in the daily, uh, in our daily lives, in in working in DevOps DevOps, uh, kind of activities. So uh, I feel that the difference between these reports that are by nature more scientific and they are like uh, gathered data points and trying to find out pains from the from the uh, target uh, groups. Uh, but we wanted to bring our own experiences to as a Christmas gift to our customers and our new customers. And basically me, Johan and uh, Marco, Marco Clemetti, our CTO, uh, we had like 20 different items. And then we fought about the items that we want to actually include because we couldn't include all of them. And then we started to work, work on them. So we had to think about items that were very close to our hearts basically, and then continue from those and it was like this kind of tournament tournament uh, document that all of the greatest and uh, you know the most important ideas from our free point of view so so it's a small group that wants to you know elaborate new ideas that people should think about in, in their companies and in their organizations uh, yeah but then we started to do the content and then we because we nobody 
nobody from the three of us couldn't draw anything so we wanted of course to have a little bit more professional way to you know visualize the things so did I, I i don't know if i did i forget some something but yeah we, we, uh, the, the beautiful thing is we don't know if you forgot because neither of us were <laughs> yeah but but you said that n not one of three of you could draw yeah and uh mark remind do i remember correctly mark that when you are in the meetings you draw in your notepad i do i do and um I do it still sometimes in online meetings, and of course, there's the there's a lot of online tools that have made the collaboration of drawing online a lot easier. And just as we have a conversation, you know, writing down a few keywords that that any of us say as we go along, it gives us all something that we can point to and come back to and and work around and figure out, you know, is this the thing that we're talking about? What are the yeah. terms that kind of come? Actually, actually, now I uh, now I remembered what I forgot. So all of these items were like we had this one fact that okay we have a fact that was some somebody uh, has proven that this is uh, a number that everybody agrees on, and then we want to elaborate on a graphical way mm -hmm. uh, on that on that fact and that uh, item. So uh, and we wanted to make it very very uh visual so like Laba you said they can be seldom messy messy where you have all the data points and everything and then you have some kind of abstract in the end or summary uh, and abstract on, in the beginning of course so so we wanted to make it visual that everybody remembers it yeah and the devops trends report is like um, um like a mashup of a white paper and an infographics so I like that the way how mm. you have done it is you have the sources, you cite the sources, you have the graphics, and then you have the statements that makes you think. Mm. Yeah. But I, I'd be curious to know what those 13 were you did not include, because I think in my calculation, there were seven psychological safety, scaling through community building, internal platforms, SaaS consumption, edge cloud, 5G, and focus and data challenges. Yeah, seven of them. Well, we we hope you'll be able to drop some of those 13s you, you, you left out during this podcast. Let's but see, that's... I, have to, I have to take the document. <laughs> <laughs> no, we will trust your memory. Um, I have organized this one by one, so I was hoping that we would do a little bit of a mid-year review. So we would look at each one of them and have a little bit of this discussion um, about those and, and hear your, your thoughts uh, one way or the other. But I wanted to, before going there, um, more generally ask both of you what has been most surprising about this year in the DevOps space. Disregard whatever seven or 20 topics there are, but f for sure, none of us would and could have predicted how year has unfolded. So I wanted to s start with a soft mm. question. Mark, you go first. Yeah, thank you. Um, one of the things I think that was most surprising and really interesting to me is how many companies are really getting towards state-of-the-art uh, practices and tools in terms of DevOps and software development. 
um, the bar is really raising um, from some companies where they are taking the uh, the 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 way that software is uh, developed much more seriously uh, than in the past. And um, you know, it, I was joking with Galle like like ten or fifteen years ago. You know, it seemed like DevOps was kind of the base player of the the software organization, and now um, it's become something that it's it's more like the the music theory of the software organization. It's something that you know every developer now is taking into account the fact that you must have pace, rhythm, and timing, um, to use musical terms. Um, but uh, this is one of the most delightful things. And then this is also something that um, companies that are just coming on to this fact that, uh-oh, their competition is now um, starting to move quite quickly. They, they may even have an advantage, kind of like drafting with the bicycle, where they've been doing okay with their, with their previous practices, their legacy practices, and now starting to do things in a, in a modern fashion uh, using DevOps, for example, can give them a great boost of speed and advantage. Yeah, and actually, I want to collaborate on that point. So what I see is that the capabilities that you can do is so large and they are so in they are so evolved already that you can actually uh, you know front run your older competition based on that they have the you know momentum on going to a different you know kind of wrong way or they cannot change their way of working so well or so fast and the capabilities you can just like you don't need to do iteratively the whole change anymore. You can just like step, uh, you know, you can jump over 100 steps and just, you know, uh, sprint after that. So uh, from from the past year, exactly that those kind of, e even everybody knows these kind of things, the devil practices that you need to do them. Like Mark said that it is uh, like a de facto, you know, set of, you know, state of mind. But then if you haven't been able to take that, you know, force before you can do it now, it's very much in a very, very, very nice speed. Yeah, it, it must be supported uh, at least by the fact that it's, it's sort of a self-serving prophecy that because everything is becoming so easy, as a consequence, it has become so easy to build niche tools and niche software as a service, which then fuels that. It's a, like a virtuous circle that whatever niche you are looking at, you always have a choice. And and because you have a choice of so many niches, that means you can focus on your actual business problem so much more quickly instead of having mm -hmm. to tinker with the fundamentals that, um, that has nothing to do with your business case. It just... Like back in time, you had to, if you were to be a big engineering organization, you had to build your operating system distribution packages yourself. And now there's an abundance of choices for, for different Linux distribution. It's like a matter of picking the right one. And, and that has now permeated through all areas of software, like nobody in the right mind would start over on any niche before looking at those 10 options available out there. Yeah, yeah. Like me, 10 years ago, we're watching this kind of teleco, teleco uh, 
uh, industry-specific CI/CD pipeline, and thought that this is the greatest, and this is this is what we can do, and nothing is almost better. But now, actually, what I we are going to talk about more in the edge cloud area, for example, I feel that again, this is the, <laughs> the like this is the greatest of everything that we can achieve. And let's see, like one year forward, what what we can achieve more. Should we start with that edge cloud thing? Because I, um, I have been trying to wrap my head around that one. And uh, truth to be told, edge cloud enables SaaS for on-prem solutions. That has been the hardest for me to capture of all of these trends. So why don't... Why? It's so easy. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so give us a 30 second rundown on... Let's start with what it is and uh, where are we going with that? Yeah, let's let's go with very concrete and very, uh, very, very this kind of simple example. Everybody hates or loves uh, electric vehicles. So let's think about the way Tesla actually is delivering and using its cloud, which is an actually car itself. It, the you know millions of in the future millions of cars are managed uh, with automation. They are getting the deliveries, the software deliveries. They are generating data. They are sending the data back. They are actually uh, calculating uh, different models already in the car. You need to update the software in the car to do that. You need to have the connectivity and all all around the all around the cars and then the software side where you actually use the whole your all of your asset in the world all of them are when they are driving they are your edge cloud so how do you manage the software there how do you actually think about in the development part already all of these capabilities that okay you have some kind of platform there you you know you manage the version etc so I hope that actually uh, is enough already, Lapa, for you, but <laughs> we can continue. <laughs> but Edge Cloud is everything that is near uh, the user. It is not centralized, usually, uh, you know, capacity. It is very decentralized capacity in the world. Yeah. It can be in the space, it can be underwater, it can be anywhere. Yeah, yeah one of the, the interesting things, like it, it, you can think of it as, uh, Cloud computing is way out there somewhere, but it was actually thought of as fog computing, this this edge uh, for quite some time. Mm. But but the marketing isn't so good. You see, you don't want to come out of the clouds and into the fog, do you? Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's very interesting. And uh, if I'm a little bit continuing, because these the five G and the edge cloud were the two what I was holding uh into this or like i want to push these two items into this document because i have seen in couple of years now the huge tsunami of different industries adopting software in in different kind of machinery in the forest in the air in the sea on on the sea and under sea and uh, they have the same problem they have software as an asset that they want to manage wherever they have connectivity. So you need to have the connectivity and then the game is open. But the, all of these DevOps uh, problems are then on, you know, in your lap. You need to somehow 
code your assets, you need to somehow develop, uh, deliver them, you need to release them, and delivery and releasing is totally different thing, which again is a problem in fleet management scenarios where you don't want to push the same binaries all the time on over the mobile network because it's going to be terabytes of data, it's going to cost you millions to update your cars, your planes, whatever. So you, the whole system is your new problem field. Uh, your all, all of the assets and in your system needs to be managed in a you know automated way with a scalable way uh, that is not you know even possible to do by hand. So this is just this is a so large tsunami uh, that needs to be you know built in the world. And uh, there are front runners, and then there are like uh, like laggers that are still sending uh, USB sticks with people into the rainforest to update the software in some hardware. So you know that's not the way to deliver software. Which used to be the problem for the IT department, and I, I think this is where mm -hmm. where sort of my mental model is like it has expired such a long time ago that I'm thinking that like my conventional way of thinking is that you have the development team and they deliver something for IT and then IT has the problem of endpoint management and uh, and then and then suddenly come devops and then you say well there, imagine there is no IT imagine there is this development team and then there's this ops team and like it's their shared problem mm. Like there is not the development team that comes to IT and say, here's the new build. Can you deliver this to all, all of these endpoints? And then the IT is trying to figure the endpoint management out. So, yeah, uh, yeah I, I'm, I'm, I'm deliberately a little bit of a devil's advocate here, but it sounds to me like we have gone like a full circle, like went from client server model into a cloud computing, and then we are coming back into something we call yes. edge cloud. Mm, kind of, kind of. Uh, I kind of look at it. Uh, would you agree with this call? It's like, uh, I like what you what you inferred, um, uh, Lapa, but to me, it's more like client client or server mm -hmm. server. You know, it's like the, the tools are such that it is no longer just a, you know, yeah. kind of a singular kind of connection. Now it's a it's a parallel kind of connection. Yeah. And like we like we actually we had in the DevOps 2021 conference, we had this growth technologies on stage there where they were, where we were actually or they were presenting their way that uh, how they are delivering software on their uh, on their, uh, you know, vessels to the vessels uh, in, in this poor connectivity kind of way. So it is also that the entities, the assets that you have in the world needs to actually uh, be able to be self-maintaining uh, in a way that you have connectivity problems. They are going to be, you know, uh, ping the master or ping the repositories where they are actually configured and then they are going to uh, update themselves. So I have been taught, uh, you know, 10 years that, okay, CICD is a push. It's a push-oriented way to deliver value to the operational capabilities and value streams. But it's actually now a pool-based. And I see this, this as a, also a trend that everything is going to be, you know, uh, you know, transforming to this pool-based, which is this kind of lean, lean way of thinking already have shown us so well that push-based is never a good idea, whatever you want to do whatever you want to you know change or manage it's always better to do pool based systems 
And this edge cloud is like perfect, uh, perfect way that the fleet management functionality, for example, you have clear time windows when you actually do the download. So the, uh, the intelligence is in built into the asset yep. in the field. Well, safe to say that trend has happened. Yeah, basically we have a, a all the time constantly growing this kind of case amount on in the in the area of this. So and it is like industry independent. So it doesn't care if you are banking sector or a manufacturing sector. The same same uh, thinking and same solutions actually applies. Yeah. Cool. Well, we are one down. And that was your hobby horse, Kalle. So you had two hobby horses, Edge Cloud and uh, 5G. Yeah, five, but let's let's go let's go 5G later. Yes. Okay. <laughs> right. Mark, should we pick up your hobby horse in that case? Oh, I I'm guessing you want to talk about psychological safety. Yeah, I think um, th- that is one of the most exciting ones for me and I've, I've witnessed this firsthand uh, during this year where I see um, companies giving a lot more attention towards um, the, the, the safety of their employees in terms of the ability to be themselves, the ability to uh, express themselves. And, um, you know, we, we threw around these words of empowerment in, uh, for 20 years and in various different kind of management circles. Um, but now um, it's 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 really working in a lot of organizations. You know, we've had things like the pandemic happen, and you can see two. This is a wonderful way uh, to to look through this because right now you see two kinds of companies. You see those um, that are just working remotely and supporting their employees and creating everything they can um, to to enable this kind of work. And then you see some companies that are uh, either sitting on their hands or like, well, now we will allow you to work remotely two days a week once the pandemic is over, things like this. So there's there's been a, a great deal of uh, allowing people to uh, work in the methods that they uh, that they choose themselves actually being empowered to choose not only the methods, but even, you know, in many cases, the content of the work. And the consequence of this, um, I'll just kind of reiterate, is that um, it's becoming nearly ubiquitous. So companies that try to buck this trend are, in fact, losing people. Um, So as many companies uh, are getting better at supporting the employees and allowing them to be themselves and thrive, some are, um, you know, looking back at at older ways of working command and control hierarchies things like this and realizing that uh, it's not that competitive in this landscape anymore last spring we conducted a what we call remote work survey both for our own employees as well as our customers and we had a, a question i think there were two questions that that were interesting in this perspective one was what are the reasons in the order of importance to increase remote work possibilities number one reason was to accommodate employees preferences mm-hmm. the number two reason was to um, for employees to better combine work and other life and then number three and four respectively was improve, improved productivity 
and then ability to hire talent from broader geographical area. And number five, which is the last one on the list, is cost savings. So if you look at this from an employee employer's perspective, this small sample tells that thinking employees first is a way forward. And the cost savings, which in a traditional corporate management would probably be a prime directive now comes as a consequence. Like, and I'm, I, it, it personally feels common sense to me that organizations who embrace a culture like, like this, what our customers have said, then they will think it or not improve psychological safety in their organization that people can more feel at ease with the working circumstances. Yeah. Uh, for that uh, point, remote scenario or remotely working one year has decreased our capability to talk as a group in my mind very much. So it's a problem for me that I have I have seen it personally that when you don't have that kind of one to many uh, collaboration all the time you know uh seeing different people even and outside your your team uh it decreases it decreases your you know uh psychological safety so that you are thinking more that you should you know you are the the ideas are coming to your head you know without any reason that okay is is my work appreciated like why i'm not connect, connected uh, or do i need to conduct contact some con, uh, sorry talk to somebody and uh, when i have seen it because i'm very physic this has been a very not very difficult time for me but because i'm an extrovert person i want to see people and not be alone in one room so there is a different kind of uh, you know fears or ideas coming to my head yes. you know but I see, I see there can be kind of like a, an opposite effect where like uh, I see, uh, well, first off, one thing that has relaxed a lot is the formality of the first five minutes of the meetings, where I see uh, a lot more of this um, instead of, you know, the, the meeting starting at one minute sharp or everybody just waiting for five minutes and well, we are waiting for some others. Uh, there's, there's banter. And there is, uh, you know, this kind of getting to know each other more mm. in this first five minutes of online meetings after the pandemic has, has been around for a while. And I think that's really interesting. And there's this kind of another side to that, too, which is um, we're seeing inside of each other's homes all the time. And we're getting a, a glimpse of someone within their home environment. And to me, it, it makes me feel um, better about myself because I'm kind of also, you know, sharing and having mm. that, that shared with me. So it kind of feels we're still serious about our work, but this, this level of uh, putting up a front of formality of, I, you know, I am a professional and I will only talk about the work, that's kind of dropped some. And I think we're more human because of it. Yeah, it was ba basically the news anchor in a TV so like a couple of years ago where they had this kind of small kid coming to them. That like that broke, broke the ice. Then you could have a, like a, in CNBC, CNN, Sky News, all are like collaborating from the living room or something. It's, it's, it was interesting and i feel the world needed that one 
So I, I agree with you. Wonderful. I remember one of the original underwriters of the Agile Manifesto. Um, it, I learned this from somebody that, that he had a habit that he joined online meetings ahead of time. And uh, he was playing guitar on his own in the online meeting with nobody on the line. And then when people joined, they, in the course of time, they learned that th- this person is playing guitar in anticipation of the upcoming meeting. So they began joining early because they wanted to hear that person playing guitar, uh, which was like a nudge of motivating people to join on time or maybe even early. It's a very human way mm. of looking at that. Um, still, I still want to highlight that psychological safety is is not the same thing as as remote work, even though that's a very strong embodiment of psychological yeah, safety yeah. but if we look at the definition of what that is there's there's one one definition which is that y- you can express your point of view which are without being afraid of the consequences um one of the best expressions or definitions um i have heard is that the psychological safety is the ability and uh, the environment where you can take risks with interpersonal relations. I do personally yeah. think that that all, everything that we have discussed have um, made it easier to take risks with interpersonal relations. Yeah, and, and I want to emphasize that point when the, on a written format on Slack or Teams, people actually that they don't want to take risks, they want to write the message in such a way that like an email in a time that it's not a it's not a collaboration chat it's kind of that it's locked every every loose end of the text is locked so that nobody can misunderstand it nobody cannot you know feel bad about it and and be like very very clear on it and it it has it's a it's very difficult i have seen that in because in a remote work you have that not you don't have the face to face communication you re- write and then you have misunderstanding possibilities in in that kind of communication also but, but you know this like uh, this ability to not know everything mm. this ability to ask a wrong question this um understanding that like just within the within the devops landscape the number of tools and technology is so vast that no one can be an expert in all of this stuff so it's okay if you don't know how to do this thing and to ask you know mm. about that and you know the one of the classical tricks uh here as well is you know sometimes you ask for help and you uh or you ask a question and you don't get an answer but if you make a wrong statement mm-hmm. then everyone will come and, and correct you which is another way to you know feel safe and learn to feel safe doing this and and still get the kind of help that you need yeah great so it sounds like uh despite the circumstances we have been able to increase psychological safety oh i hope other organizations have found that as well It's Laurie again. In addition to the DevOps Trends report, our teams at Efficode have written a hugely popular guide, DevOps for Executives. I am adding a link to the show notes and I encourage you to read it at your leisure. Also, you might find a few more links that interest you. Take a look. Now let's get back to the discussion with Kalle and Mark. 
when I joined Efficode, there was there was a person at Efficode who um, taught me a great lesson, which was that the psychological safety is not a characteristics of an individual; it's a characteristic of an organization, and the organization mm. develops psychological safety and, and not an individual. And uh, from time to time, I'm come coming back and thinking about that. Yeah, and it's a good point that these kind of team building activities have been very hard to keep. And in our company, I'm so glad that these kind of uh, like company-wide parties, they have been quite fun and actually quite open and uh, in my mind successful. And uh, that it, it needs much more effort to keep the motivation of people and actually build this kind of psychological safety in the company when you are not present. Yeah. So far we have been on safe ground. It's almost like everything we say we agree and things have things have happened. So should we try and pick something on the list which has been more un, unbalanced or wobbly um, throughout the year? What, what of the trends haven't really come through as we expected? Hmm. Let's see. Basically this uh, this community building is uh, it's a difficult subject it's so important that we actually wanted to wanted it to be here uh, it's like self-evident that uh, it's like a performa- performance of your organization and how you can uh, you know cultivate the value out of the employees is through the community and the culture of course so but it is so hard hard to change and uh, it has been very hard even more in this corona times so so uh but yeah we can we can talk about that i have a few words uh to start with on on the community building um one of the things uh that i've seen is like practice communities or in in some other uh, some places they're called guilds or whatever um which are uh internal communities where people come that have like interests. So it could be, um, you know, uh, Kubernetes or edge clouds or, or uh, uh, lots of different kinds of things. Uh, but then it can work like it's a volunteer force without ownership that then doesn't really have a mandate or power and kind of dies on the vine or could even, you know, rot and, and the, the rot could spread a little bit. So communities, um, this is something I've seen in the last year where it's like the, we can't just expect them to grow on their own. We can't, you can't always push or pull or guide them too strongly. You can give them, if necessary, mandates or ownership of a community. If you don't have a benevolent dictator or a, you know, a charismatic leader that is pushing something in a direction, and the community is not moving, what do you do? So this has been one of the, the challenges that I've seen this year is a lot of companies, they want to have internal communities or they've tried it and it didn't work, or they have, um, you know, they've created volunteer, you know, cross team, you know, DevOps communities or, or, or whatever. And then they don't really get it off the ground. And there's lots of different reasons that can contribute to that, like the ownership or the mandate or the time allocation um, is one that we face as well. You know, we're consultants, we work with customers. So where do we allocate the time in order to do uh, internal things or community related work? 
Yeah, I somehow, in my mind, I associate community building with innovation management through communities. Um, and uh, if you do innovation management through communities, or if you if you do innovation management throughout the organization, almost inevitably you will talk about um, allocating certain resources on the basis of democratic decision making basically you you everyone who joins the company are given a certain virtual tokens that they can use to fund certain initiatives or or certain innovations and so it's it's virtual money but everybody has it and you can freely divide your equity to whatever internal initiatives there are and, and then by way of allocating virtual equity then those initiatives who get highest amount of virtual equity they actually get actual resources and um and when you say that you need a benevolent dictator or or what if a community dries out then what then somehow in my mind i think something like that has to exist for it to live longer that that virtual mm-hmm. equity is somehow converted into real resources otherwise it mm-hmm. it's a otherwise it's a risk of just becoming like a a chit chat forum and nothing ever happens mm-hmm. yeah i but i feel that it is it is mandatory to have that kind of open space to talk about the certain topics uh, and then people can pull or collaborate on the ideas And it is the capability to execute on on that. I don't I don't want to say execute innovations because it should be this kind of or organic uh, sorry organic thing where you actually notice that hey what what we just did we just did something valuable for us and our customers and it's uh, it is very hard to achieve that kind of situation and it can be broken so easily. It's a fragile thing. Hmm. Uh, I have I have experience from my previous company. We had this uh, Spark Innovation, uh, uh, this kind of competition. We had 400 ideas, and uh, we uh, the top 20 were given this possibility to actually have this kind of startup uh, whole training. We had pitch competitions, you know. We had prize money in the end. We have we had everything, and uh, some of those some of those actually ideas are now generating revenue as we speak so so it, it it needs to be you know there has to be uh incentive and time and then this kind of framework where you can breed breed and do that as a like a you know uh sorry planned way so that everybody understands that this is the reason why we want to do these kind of communities also and that actually in my mind the greatest uh cultural you know building blocks or you know is the fact that when you succeed to build something you you have such a great team that nobody's going to stop that team in that company or in some other way it's going to be when they succeed in those kind of things that's uh, like very very nice things and very nice to see that that kind of uh team building yeah i would still yeah I'm, it's probably my role to be a little bit of a devil's advocate but i would i would uh, imagine that if this trend has really broken through we would have seen examples of it from our customer side 
Yeah. Uh, usually, usually our customers are not, uh, you know, are they have some kind of problems usually. That why why you use you know consultancy is the reality that you need to some kind of change the internal way of working. And I know that there are companies that are using practices. But what's the, there is a thin line in my mind, the center of excellence and like in the minds of many people, they don't understand the difference between center of excellence and practice community. So they are totally two, two different things uh, uh, or they should be at least in my mind. Uh, and, uh, but yeah, in reality, my, my kind of projects are not, not the, like we, we are, we are fine. Please call, call it to mix things up <laughs> but then, uh, other than the mandates and ownership and other things that we talked about one of the things i've noticed about community building um, in my experience has been the uh, people are attracted when they can interact with with something with the community with the uh, uh, with the company with uh, as an uh, as a customer you become involved in the community when the, the company gives you a way to interact with them mm. or um, with a uh, you can do peer to peer interaction, of course. But if you are a member of a community, are you then able to interact with gurus or interact with uh, maybe a management layer or something that makes you feel uh, like you can you can get ahead or grow your prof have professional growth or something like that. So the interactivity of community, I think, is something that uh, does, in addition to these other things, help them uh, enable, uh, you know, value for the for the humans, which then translates to value for the company. So we must we must believe that when when the working mode becomes more hybrid then that face-to-face -face part becomes more of the of the vehicle to community building and which is um by the way well supported by the remote work survey um which i referred earlier where we the other question we asked was where would you prefer ethicodes people to perform the following activities we asked that from our customers mm -hmm. and by far the the single individual activity that our customers preferred ethical people to perform in the customer's office was a team workshop. Um, if you contrast that option with the different options of independent work or a day full of meetings or a day free of meetings or frequent team meetings, um, even frequent team meeting was uh, preferred to be taken from home office, but team workshop which i imagine that when you are building a community you end up doing a little bit of you go face to face do something unplanned do something which is very highly dynamic in terms of interacting uh, mm -hmm. which which has it, it benefits from being face to face and the customers prefer that to happen face to face um one last thing about the survey is by far the biggest option for all practically all of these apart from this one was i don't have an opinion where the work should be happening where do you guys want to go from here um i could quickly take the internal platforms and design systems um 
this is something I've had a lot of customer experience with lately, and I, I, I find it fascinating that um, I've seen a couple of different uh, things on the trends here. Um, one is that the there are more and more companies enabling developers to build and utilize their own tool chains. So uh, we don't care how you do the work. We just want you to uh, deliver the roadmap and then allowing the, the developers to, uh, to use completely their own, their own tools. And then I've also seen the opposite um, thing. So this is, uh, this is a fragmentation that enables efficiency. And then I've seen the opposite where um, there are a lot of companies that are providing end-to-end -end, uh, solutions. So if you are, if you're going to build a physical product, um, uh, would the first thing that you do be buy a factory? Well, no, um, that would probably not be the most efficient way to, to start making physical products. But when you are uh, developing software, one of the most efficient things to do is to set up real proper professional pipelines day one, and then all the work that you do will be more efficient. Now, how does one do that? Well, one can allow the developers to go and pick and choose uh, whatever tools they like, or they can go to a single solution provider that provides a platform, and then they can build their pipelines on top of that. So I've, I've seen a lot of work in, in these kinds of areas where, uh, and it can go in, in both directions. It can be having um, an internal platform that uh, is essentially a set of rules that you can use whatever you like, as long as you fit within these, these minimal things, or an internal platform, which is like, here is a standard tool chain. You can update it, or, or maybe you must use it as it is, but it is, it is provided to you as a service. And now there are companies that can even provide you know, that entire service to you from uh, change management all the way through to uh, deployment. And on the design systems, um, one of the things that I found um, in uh, Epicode, for example, if you look at our look and feel, um, we have quite well-crafted design systems that when I am trying to express an idea for a customer, I have a library of graphics and I have a library of slides and I have a library of layouts and I have a library of uh, icons and I have a, a set of typography and I can go from the paper to a professional looking set of slides in minutes because we have a design system that allows me to do so. And that's something that uh, when it's done properly, it is a real luxury and a huge uh, efficiency boost for being able to express an idea to another person. Like, uh, what do you think about low code? Gartner is gonna. Gartner is saying that like almost every software line is not not written in manual way. That it's generated from low code. So it's gonna be interesting. Also, the design design systems is kind of one first step on that direction. I believe that there is gonna be some kind of low code uh, change coming, but let's see. Let's see. There is also almost always excuses why don't you you wanna you know use low code oh. but i see as like a, in systems where you have millions of uh lines in database or users in database but you have couple of users actually like for example governments uh, uh you know those kind of systems nobody's uh paying for that kind of manual you know software design development uh, anymore on those kind of systems. So, yeah. 
Yeah, we will go from low code to the point where the AI actually looks at your data and writes yeah. the code and gives you a bunch of use cases that it can find. Yeah. And I but think that's the next one. That is the next one. But yeah, testing is never going to go away and requirement management is never going to go away. And the customer, you know, feedback and that kind of thing. Uh, the manual labor actually could be like uh, uh, minimizing. But I want to point out this one one. Uh, one idea that actually I, I met or I was told last year, was it Johan or Henrik? I actually don't remember now, but the socio-technological socio systems. So I have heard and read about systems thinking before this, but the socio-technological system actually opened my eyes so much. And this is a very old, 60 years old uh, concept. But uh, when you go to Wikipedia and uh, open this page history, you can see that the past two years, there is like exponential growth of uh, changes to this page. And uh, if I would read one, uh, like from DevOps point of view, if I would want to learn about how you want your organization uh, use technology in your behavior, or how do you want to rotate like jobs, or how do you want to spread the knowledge? This is, uh, this is the uh, system thinking from technological and sociological point of view. And it is a key in my mind also in this kind of systems where you have platforms, you need to also use them. You need to teach people to use and how do you accommodate that process uh, to use those kind of tools. So yeah, this is, uh, this is what DevOps is all about. I believe like a little bit continue on this one. I feel that the technology part is always a little bit in front of the sociological part, because if you want to enforce a process to, pe to, to some people that don't have the capability to execute on that process, it's going to, you know, go uh, so south, so fast that you actually think about your all of your agile transformation projects, you know, where the reason was that you are not able to do that. Your, your circle of uh, your uh, work that you can do is, is, uh, is, in, is smaller than what is uh, uh, you know, expected from you. So in a way that the technology makes your circle much bigger and then you can execute on those things what are expected of you. So, uh, and uh, this is like a little bit the idea of like from pot to, uh, uh, from, from the bottom to top or top to bottom, which way you want to transform your organization? And the answer is both ways. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So my takeaway from you, Kalle, is that I had a question in closing, what trends would you like to see come up? Um, the social technical system might be one trend that you would like to see come up based on based on what the optimize yes yeah yeah and the optimization of this one so that you you listen what the architects are saying what are and the, and also that architects and technical guys needs to think about the whole system how do we manage this one in production coming back to the edge cloud for example if you only build a technological asset that is not capable of uh, being managed by the process of the organization, then the whole thing is uh, a proof of concept and not uh, maintainable in operations. Cool. Um, guys, we have five minutes and three topics. So shall we stop here or do you want to take one more? I, I would vote for the 5G. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead on the 5G then. I started my career 
in uh, actually in uh, creating software for doctors, where where I was confronted of the fact that if you don't create the software for the doctors very well and it's not usable, they don't use it. So two to two to three seconds is a time that it is like uh, they evaluate the software that is it usable or not. But the point is that I actually started my real career in the telco area where uh, where I was building these huge, very costly systems uh, for for big vendor, a Finnish vendor, you can guess who it is. Uh, now, like 15 years later, there is a transformation ongoing so that like, for example, Ericsson and Nokia they not they are not selling their hardware anymore uh, to to operators for uh, connect you know connection providers Corvex connection service providers. Uh, basically, what they are now selling they are selling software to companies, and talk about vertical inter integration and owning your operational uh, value stream where you need a connectivity to your asset. So this is like uh, if you combine the uh, edge and 5G, I don't do you have Lapa the actually the PDF there? What was I the do. market cap that is untapped? Can you please check it quickly? It was huge number. I do have it. Just give me one second. Uh, the edge cloud market will be worth 43 billion by 2027. Yeah. <laughs> the point is that this is a totally un untapped market. And it's, it's like when cloud was coming, uh, you can imagine what kind of numbers were and it's still growing and uh, like cloud cloud services that you can use and integrate to your operational value stream. That when, when, a cost, when your customer comes to your service, it is actually running in cloud. Uh, that, kind of, that kind of transformation of all of the companies and the revenues and where the actually money comes from and now you can imagine what kind of uh, you know value stream changes on the operational side you can have when you have, for example, I'm going to take an example like a port now, uh, maritime port handling a logistics, for example. They don't need to anymore uh, uh, have like partnership on on the country level on the operational side. They can actually own their own network and manage everything and manage the scaling of their business is not anymore depending on on the native localization problems of, of the connectivity and spectrum usage. So so it is it's hard to imagine what kind of even changes this can and business models this can uh, give uh, to to the companies. So so for example also the factory floors. So there's like three megatrends in 5G. There is ma massive IoT Mm -hmm. Then there is this uh, broadband, like large, very large broadband, and the latency. So I have this, I have this dream to play uh, Angry Birds on my mobile phone, so that I'm aug augmenting my reality, so that I can, uh, uh, you know, you know, pong my bird, my red to the Nasinneula, this Tampere monumentum. And, and tip it over and the latency is so good that you are not even you know seeing the seeing the difference and and that kind of that kind of uh, change or from user experience to build the augmented reality that I, I we can have like glasses finally that where I can see uh, 
you know, of course I'm married, but if I would have a, I, I was looking for a spouse, I would see immediately that, okay, there is a possible spouse candidate. Like, like these yeah. kind of, they, they haven't, they have been a dream, but they, now they are like a coming and this kind of Blade Runner, uh, you know, way, <laughs> Blade Runner, cyberpunk rea reality is able to build, is, is going to be able to build on this 5G uh, and uh, Edge Cloud capability. Sorry for being a little bit random here, but I'm a, I'm a this kind of, <laughs> I think, far to the future. <laughs> but, but, but it is here and now. You, you said there are examples mm -hmm. of, of this happening and 5G is basically, again, a virtualization of resources to another higher abstraction level compared to before, which is very natural mm -hmm. development of, of technology. Yeah. 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 No, I, we, we haven't really seen the killer apps yet, you know, uh, unless you count the COVID uh, vaccine um, mm. for the killer apps for 5G. Um, that was a joke if nobody's <laughs> laughing. <laughs> Thank you, Kalle um, and Lapa. So uh, anyway, the, uh, you got me. The, the interesting thing that I'm, I'm kind of playing with here in my mind is that, okay, so this, this could go two different directions, and I think it will tip one way or the other, whereby... Um, the device that you are using, uh, the endpoint, the terminal, uh, the laptop or the phone or the smart glasses or, or the, the uh, electric vehicle or whatnot has, uh, due to the latency and the bandwidth, has almost no processing power and no storage and everything mm. is streamed. And, you know, we're seeing this in the gaming industry um, yes. uh, a lot as well. You know, it's, it could go tip in this direction to whereby you don't own anything. Um, everything mm. is a service that is provided to you and you have a very, very, very thin layer client. Um, and then everything else is on the, you know, there is no cloud. It's just somebody else's uh, computer. Yeah, it's, and, it's uh, somebody else's traffic traffic sign. Yep. You know, like, like people that want free internet, they don't understand that everybody has to buy it from somebody else. Um, yeah. But uh, then on the other side, of course, you know, is, is the world's greatest uh, supercomputer, the, the conjunction of, you know, the billions of uh, connected devices on 5G all over the world that now can solve all of uh, life's problems. And I, I did a... a a presentation on this some years ago where the Seymour Cray, the inventor of the supercomputer, mm. uh, compared a single human cell uh, with a with a computer and, and put it into those terms. And by my math, um, all the smartphones in the world at that time would, um, if uh, given good connectivity, would add up about to the brain of a rabbit. So um, as time goes on, if we do go towards more and more and more power on the edge, uh, we may not even need the cloud anymore. And everything is kind of distributed in the fog computing. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And you, Lapa, you, Lapa actually ask about like the idea, ideas, but what the trends. So uh, one trend was actually this kind of decentralization and of course the like uh, block uh, sorry, the block ledgers and cryptocurrencies are going to be a part of that also as a decentralized uh, solution. So, so that was one thing that uh, we dropped actually. So, but my my ideas were kind of a little bit technology and enablement, uh, point, you know, point of view. And then Johan's was this Johan bring this kind of uh, soft elements to these these publications. It's a uh, 
social technological where two of you represented one side, the one respective side of the social technological yes, system. Yes, yes, yeah, wonderful. This is great. Thank you, folks. And this leaves two more for people to read in the DevOps trends. But you said it earlier. Uh, SaaS is pretty much preaching the choir. And the last one is increased focus on data challenges which I think we have to talk about data at some other time because it, it goes into building information architecture and technology architecture side by side and it goes into talking about building data lakes and things like that as part of your continuous deployment yeah. and how do yeah. you do things like feature adoption as part of your your um, continuous deployment and things like that. So that definitely deserves um, an episode of its own right. Any last words, Kalle and Mark, you'd like to say before we finish off? Like we have touched already this little bit, but I must emphasize that when when Corona coronavirus spread, uh, the economy was like taking a hit, and then a couple of months later, everybody was panicking that how we are going to work, how we are going to deliver deliver software uh, in these kind of scenarios where we can actually have a flight. We are, uh, you know, stuck here in the Nordics uh, and uh, this has increased or like amplified the pains in the development part in the, like collaboration this psychological safety how do you build the teams and then these operational practices how do you update software how do you how do you monitor actually the software how do you get the feedback when you cannot even go to the field from like for example updating a uh, software in a factory site so so this has you know even more giving me this kind of uh like i don't know i don't know i it, it's more self-evident that these devops practices uh is needed and all of these they, all this paper was like uh written in a perfect <laughs> perfect uh you know timing in that that sense Thank you, Kalle. Um, I'll, I'll just say a couple of words that I think one of the most interesting things that is is moving with momentum and the, the trend is increasing and increasing is that uh, software complexity is rising and rising and rising, but the ease of use of creating uh, many different kinds of even sophisticated software applications, the ease of use of creation is also uh, increasing. And I think we're finally starting to break through one of uh, Mythical Man Month Brooks laws about uh, complexity. So the complexity of a system is the square of its interfaces, but we're DevOps and pipelines and the, uh, the current kinds of tools and platforms are actually simplifying the interface between the developer, the code and the delivery, rather than uh, scaling exponentially with the complexity of the systems mm. that, that developer is operating. And I think that's a really fascinating trend right good now. Good point. Very good point. And I, I feel that we are moving from from this, this from decentralized way of running things to the more decentralized anyway, in the technology and in the sociological aspect. Thank you for listening. You can find links to the social media profiles of Kalle and Mark in the show notes alongside related materials I believe could be of interest to you. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast and give us a rating on your platform. It means the world to us. Also, check out our other episodes for interesting and exciting talks. Before I let you go, I want to offer a floor to Kalle and Mark to introduce them properly. All I say now is take care of yourselves 
and remember that the future is in the Edge Cloud. Hi, my name is Kalle and I am a lead consultant in Efficode. I am here to make organizations to be better in delivering the value to their end customers and everything that is uh, in the way I want to remove. Hi, my name is Mark Dillon. I am a lead consultant at Efficode. I have been uh, building software for many, many years now, and um, I'm really excited about the way that uh, DevOps and software trends are allowing the creation of greater things with higher quality and less cost.